We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which company has been recorded, the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation. We respect their continuing culture and the past and present contributions they have made to this region. You're listening to Company, the podcast connecting Australian artists, where we talk all things personal, professional and spiritual. Joining you, as always, are your hosts, Georgia Kennedy and Tiana Catalano. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Company. It's a really exciting one today. We've got a performance coach with us, which is exciting because I hear a lot about sports performance coaches and how important they are, but I haven't learned about artistic performance coaches and the kind of work that they do. So we're really excited to share this one with you and we're really lucky that we got to talk to the lovely Kaylin. Yes, it's a really, really great introduction to performance psychology. I'm really keen for you guys to hear it. Hell yeah. But before that, it's time for Riff of the Week. <laughs> Riff of the week. <laughs> riff of the week. So um, I'll do my riff of the week first. It's another podcast. Uh, I've been listening to I Way, which is Jamila Jamil's podcast. I know that a few of our listeners listen to her too. Um, but she's amazing. She's off the good place. She is like a badass feminist and she helped the movement sort of a year ago around exposing like tea, you know, those advertisements for those like detoxifying teas that make you Mm. shit out all of your guts. Mm. Yeah. Um, She sort of exposed how bad they are for us both physically and mentally. Um, But she has an amazing podcast and I've been listening to all the episodes, but in particular she had an episode with, I want to make sure I get her name right, Ashling B., she is an Irish comedian and she was fucking hilarious and they just had such great banter together and they talked a lot about what it means to be like a female friend and how to uplift your fellow friends and not degrade yourself at the same time. Um, so that was a really fun episode that she has, but I've been loving them all currently. So that's my little riff. Love it. I've been listening to podcasts as well, but this week I'm going to be a bit basic and just uh, riff about a movie, uh, Invisible Man, and it's just come out on DVD and it was the first time I have bought a DVD in oh. I don't even know how many years. Like a, you bought a physical DVD? I bought a physical DVD. Oh I didn't God. even know where to go, but I ended up <laughs> just walking into Big W and I was like, I think they still sell them here. That is hectic. I know, I know. And it's because uh, um, my boyfriend has a DVD player and doesn't have internet to do the whole Netflix thing. It's not even on Netflix anyway, but... Yeah, I bought a DVD this week, so there you go. And it was worth it because Invisible Man was such a good thriller and also just kind of like a look-in for the psychology behind like PTSD with like domestic violence and that kind of stuff. And it was really like you just felt really sorry for her because she was so traumatised by her, her husband who abused her and controlled her so extensively and I guess like the story is that he's an invisible man and that's the whole premise, but even real life situations and how much like it hinders her from like leaving the house or doing anything new or getting a job and all that kind of stuff. Like it was really actually like kind of sad to see those bits, 
But in general, fantastic movie. And it was filmed in Australia. Sick. Random. There's going to be a lot more of that happening soon, oh, I reckon. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. I was really surprised because it was like, well, not surprised, but it was like high budget, like full kind of, you know, CGI, whatever. And mm. Yeah. And it has um, one of my favorite actresses, Elizabeth Moss in it. So highly recommend watch it. Kaylin Howarth trained as a classical singer at the Conservatorium of Music at the University of Melbourne before performing in Australia and Europe. As a performer, Kaylin saw the need for skilled practitioners who understood the specific challenges of the performing arts and subsequently returned to study psychology in order to be the change she wanted to see in the industry. Kaylin has created the Performer's Edge to support creatives and performers to reach their full potential through personalised performance psychology coaching. Hey, Kaylin. So lovely to meet you and thanks for coming on to company. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. So uh, while you've been in Melbourne, is it? Yes, I'm in Melbourne at the moment. Yep. 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 So what kind of stuff have you been doing in your time during COVID and do you have any recommendations for our listeners at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many things that I've kind of been doing, um, arts and non-arts related, but I guess in terms of arts related things, um, I've been listening to a lot of one of my favorite podcasts lately, which is called No Such Thing as a Fish. It's a, like a, a British podcast and it's it's got the, the QI elves from the TV show QI. They just talk about all these really fun and funny facts that they find um, and they're all really funny. They're all comedians as well. So um, on my daily walks, I'm always listening to that. Uh, but also, of course, uh, I'm not sure if you guys are into it, but I'm – super obsessed with RuPaul's Drag Race and the Canada um, uh, season is is coming out each week at the moment. So I always look forward to Fridays because that's what comes out each Friday. So a bit of that. And and then also what else have I been listening to? Oh, the other day I re, I've been re-watching a lot of um, – uh, I'm an opera singer, so I've been re-watching a lot of opera productions um, because a lot of the big opera houses have made their um, sort of back catalogues more open since COVID started. So I've been watching sort of some old productions from the Deutsche Oper in Berlin and I've got quite a few sort of um, people that I studied with who who in Melbourne who are now singing over there. So been watching some of that and it's been great to sort of listen to some of the, the orchestras Berlin Phil has opened up some of their back catalogue and Melbourne Symphony Orchestra so yeah it's as, as much as I'd much prefer to be there in person and be able to enjoy it it's been nice to have access to some of the stuff that maybe wouldn't normally be made available to us. Mm, amazing and so then I guess on that, what is a theatre or performing experience that has moved or changed you? Mm. So the, one of the first things that comes to mind actually, and it's interesting that this comes to mind because being a singer, I would have thought that one of the first things that comes to mind would be something singing related. But I actually remember back in, I think it was 2016, I saw at the Arts Centre um, Netherlands Dance Theatre and they had this incredible uh, production like three contempt they're a contemporary dance company and they had these three pieces and I just remember sitting there in the theatre feeling so 
moved by what these people were expressing without words. I think coming from a music background in an art form where you express things through the music and the words, I don't think I had been moved in such a way just through like human presence and, and, and energy before. And I remember just like crying through it just out of like, just being overwhelmed by the beauty of what was, what I was watching. And it was just, you could hear a pin drop around, around the audience. Um, and that was incredible. Um, so that's one of my most memorable experiences. And also the last couple of years, I've actually been living in London and last year I saw a production of Midsummer Night's Dream with Gwendolyn Christie, who's Brienne from Game of Thrones. And it was at this, it was at this, um, this theater called the Bridge Theater, which is kind of like a circular theater. So there's raised seats all around and then the stage itself was on the ground and it moved around. So as scenes changed, there were people there like moving the stage around and I they actually sold tickets to be standing up around this moving stage. And so you could kind of move around as you wanted and get like different perspectives and literally I could like touch the actors. That's how close they were. And that was really cool as well because it was very interactive um, and I just felt like I was kind of part of the performance as well. So that was a, a pretty cool performance as well that, that is, was quite memorable. Wow, amazing. So did you move back to Australia this year then? I moved back at the right at the end of last year. So my visa ended and in, in uh, the end of December last year. So I came back. But my intention was that I was actually meant to be going back to uh, study my master's at the Royal College of Music starting next next month. Uh, but that is looking pretty dodgy at the moment, um, pretty uncertain. So was meant to be going back but may need to postpone or, or um, just sort of see what happens. They are offering it online. Uh, the course that I was meant to be doing, the masters, but whether that happens, I'm, I'm just not. It's all a bit uncertain at the moment, as I'm sure you can imagine. Yeah, hundred percent. Wow, Absolutely. wow. And you love London? I did. I mean, it's it's a it's a big, beautiful beast. That's kind of how I describe it. It's like um, the, the sheer like variety of things you can do and the variety of people and experiences that are available over there is just incredible. Um, but I mean, it's got, it's, it's got its sort of challenges as well. I mean, uh, the rent is exorbitant and you don't earn much money. So you sort of, uh, are getting by on very little, uh, money the whole time you're there, but it was so worth it. I loved it. And if the opportunity arose, I would definitely go back there again for sure. Mm, yeah. I, I love London and I'm so excited to one day move there, but everyone that's, mm. everyone that has lived there, performed there says that you often have to have a second job because you get paid mm. so much less in the UK to be a performer, which I find quite interesting. I think, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I, it's, it's sort of the, the, the rate of pay seems to be less, but also the cost of living seems to be higher as well. So, um, there's sort of like this double whammy of, Hmm, okay. I've paid my rent and now I sort of have enough to, to, to buy my food, but I want to go to the theater and I want to go traveling and stuff. So you've definitely, um, there's challenges, but it's so, yeah, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, amazing. And on the flip side of that, have you had any theatre mishaps 
before when you were doing your opera singing or have you experienced watching anyone have a theatre mishap at all? Um, so from a personal perspective, I'm just trying to think uh, of a a mishap. So the first thing that comes to mind is I remember when I was maybe like in my early twenties, one of the first fully staged opera productions I did was this premiere of a piece called the cockatoos with the Victorian opera. And we were performing it in the middle of summer and in Melbourne, it gets pretty hot. And it was in this sort of theater that wasn't always used as a theater but we had we were using it as a a theater for this particular production and it was in the middle of a heat wave and there were no like air con um facilities in this particular building and I remember that I had this like I was kind of portraying this like really uptight um like country Australian woman and I had this like woolen sweater on and I had like an inch thick of foundation and like this big brown wig. And for those who don't know me, like I'm, I've got like very blonde hair. So it was like this huge brown wig that I was wearing. And I just remember sort of walking off stage and just like looking at myself in the mirror and just my makeup just being everywhere just from being so hot and like (laughs) sweaty and um so I'm I'm not sure if you call that a mishap but that was definitely sort of like a a memorable kind of difficult experience that I remember but it was just such a cool um experience to be premiering this piece that you forget about all that stuff because you're just having such a good time yeah look performing in the Aussie heat is not a joke can be really intense. It's, it's the real deal. It's the real <laughs> it deal. The real deal. <laughs> Amazing. So can you give us a rundown of what someone might expect to work through if they sign up for your performance coaching? Yeah, for sure. So I think what's really um, important to clarify is kind of what it is that I actually kind of do or what people like I do, which which is different to other types Mm. of like psychologists or therapists, for example. So, um, I kind of think of it as, um, like if you go and see a psychologist, for example, maybe there might be some past trauma that you've had that you're trying to work through in order to be, be able to live your most, um, your fullest life in the, in the present moment. Uh, and then like another sort of area is of, of people is sort of like consultants who maybe you go to and you tell them what your challenges are and they kind of tell you exactly what you need to do in order to be the best version of yourself. And then I describe myself uh, as a coach. I've studied psychology, but um, I, I take on more of like a coaching relationship with my clients, which is, you know, what are you doing right now that is stopping you from living the best future that you can for yourself. So, um, you know, what are some of the, you know, your, your challenges that you're currently experiencing that currently experiencing that are holding you back from fulfilling your potential? What are your strengths and how can we harness them so that it's, it's much more forward focused for me. So very like, where do you want to be? What needs to happen in order to actually get there? So that's how I kind of differentiate, um, those three areas. And I I take on a little bit of a consulting role in sort of like, you know, providing feedback to people on what they can, what they can do. But a coach I kind of see is like you, the client that I'm working with, you know yourselves better than anybody else. So it's about coming up with a, with a solution together. Um, so what, you know, together, 
with my knowledge and with your information about yourself, your knowledge of yourself, what's the best way forward to get to where you want to be? Um, so I guess someone coming to me, they might, um, there's two different ways that I kind of work. And first and foremost, there's one-on-one coaching. So in that I use a lot of personality profiling to sort of like identify people's strengths and challenge areas to sort of see how we can limit maybe the challenges that you might, might be experiencing and really harness those strengths. But then I also run a group coaching course where we talk about sort of the key facets of performance psychology. And that's kind of my, my real passion. So things like um, how to build confidence and, you know, what does that actually look like? And, how do we overcome performance anxiety and perfectionism and things like this? So people from all kind of different creeds, you know, artistic creeds come onto these courses and it's just a really awesome opportunity to not only sort of get some of the knowledge that we aren't really given when we go train at big institutions, but also learn from other performers who are working in the industry as well. Um, so yeah, I think there's, there's quite a variety of things that I do, but I guess the two main areas are like the one-on-one coaching and, and the group coaching courses that I run. Unreal. That's so cool. And you've done some study post your career as an opera singer to create yeah. this kind of business, right? Yeah. So I did my bachelor of music at the conservatorium of music in Melbourne here. And then I was performing as, as a singer, classical singer, And I still do that. Um, I mean, it's a bit difficult at the moment, but when I was in London, like I was uh, performing with the London Philharmonic Orchestra Chorus over there and I hope to sort of continue doing stuff when when we can. Um, But after, uh, in 2015, I went back and did postgraduate studies in psychology as well. So sort of got that, um, yeah, that background as well. So did you do that because you felt that there was like a a gap in the market or there was like a need that wasn't being met where performers were sort of, you know, feeling not confident or maybe underappreciated and you felt like there was a space where you could try to help your peers in the industry? Absolutely. I think I took it up first and foremost because I had my own real struggles when I was performing uh, and, you know, around not feeling good enough and, uh, not having the confidence to do the things that I really wanted to do, not believing in myself, being really perfectionistic and not being able to let go of this need for like perfection that we can never achieve. Um, and I just really found that in my studies, but also in my career, there was basically no, um, no focus given to the psychological side of performance. And for me, that was just really crazy because if I was experiencing these kind of challenges, there's obviously got to be other people out there who are experiencing these challenges as well. And um, I just really wanted to make a change in the industry because when you look at this, when you look at sports, for example, which um, uh, have a lot more money invested into the psychological side, sort of the mental skills training, you know, all of the big sports, sporting clubs, they've all got their own psychologists who are helping, you know, people to be the best and and prepare in the most effective way. And I just think that we need to be investing in a similar uh, way in the arts because so much of being a performer is about being in the right headspace. Yeah, 100%. We actually just talked to a singing coach the other day who 
has a massive focus on that and that's been a massive step for me specifically uh, mm. not just me other people too but uh, like a self-discovery along the way is if I don't actually deal with the psychological stuff then there's just no point in me even trying because that is the roadblock for me yeah and I think you know we're all so different as well and I think when we're at uni if it is even mentioned it's like a very um, it's things are starting to change now, which I'm happy to see. But, you know, when I was at uni, it was, if, if it was even discussed at all, it was sort of just like a one size fits all, take a deep breath and you'll be fine kind of approach. And, um, what we know now is that not only do people experience, um, the psychological challenges associated with, um, performing very differently, but people are, fundamentally different and so we've got to take a very individual approach to how we actually um, help people overcome the challenges they're experiencing as well so um, yeah I think just being being more aware that this type of training exists and that it is beneficial for training institutions and and the the um, you know the arts community more broadly to be looking at this as a as a really important thing to be focusing on and investing in I think is really important. Absolutely because I think a lot of unis know how to break you down maybe tear you down and then you don't really have the tools or the resources to build yourself back up and build up your confidence Mm. after you've finished with that institution so I think it's amazing that you've decided to take this up and learn more about it we need more of this. Yeah, thank you. And, and I mean, it kind of like, it blows my mind because I hear people say exactly what you said. Like I went to this institution, they really broke me down. And that for me is just like the fact that that's happening, it really literally blows my mind because that's not, that's not going to get the best out of people. Um, you know, the evidence shows us that. So I don't know why, why institutions think this is the best approach and sure you know we need to prepare people for a a life in the industry it's it's not an easy one especially at times like this but I absolutely believe in more of a a positive psychology approach um, because the research suggests that that gets you better outcomes and I'm all about an evidence-based approach rather than just the old school approach of well this is how it's always been done you know, we, we need to reassess how we train people because if we want resilient performers and creatives moving forward, particularly post-COVID, we need to be building people up, not breaking people down. That's so cool. I love that. Me too. It's amazing. And speaking of kind of the COVID time, we were wondering what are some ways that we can set up a clear career trajectory and goals for ourselves as artists whilst also sitting in the knowledge that the arts industry is full of uncertainty? Mm, yeah, I think it's a really good question. And it's one that I sort of get a bit. And I think having a really clear idea about what your why is in inverted bracket, in inverted um, brackets, um, inverted brackets, inverted commas, um, <laughs> your purpose really, like why do you do what you do? What do you want to bring to the world? And what do you want to contribute kind of contribution do you want to make? Um, I think it's very easy to go down a path that we think we should go down um, as artists, sort of, you know, in my case it was you do a music degree, then you go and do a young artist program and then you get a job at an opera house in Germany, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think a lot of people end up on this path because they just think that that's what they should 
do because that's what people in the past have done. And I think having a really clear idea of why what why you do what you do is really important and, uh, and sort of taking actions that's aligned with our why and with our core values. And, um, you know, if we end up on a path that isn't quite aligned with what we're um, what we really want and what we're passionate about because we've sort of just ended up there, then choosing to, to re realign ourselves and come back to why it is we do what we do. And, um, I think this changes over time as well. You know, maybe what was important to us five years ago is different to what it was now. And so I think that constant reassessing of, what do like? Why am I? Why am I here? What do I want to do? And what kind of contribution do I want to make right now? And how is that different to maybe how it was five years ago? If it is different for some people, it might stay the same. But I think just really being aware of is what I'm doing right now inspiring me? And if not, what do I need to do in order to get sort of to realign and get back on a path where my actions are aligned with? my core, my core values and, and my purpose and my why. Um, yeah, I think mm. there is so much uncertainty, but I think if we are clear about what we want, like why we're doing what we do and what contribution we want to make, all those challenges, they tend to become less and less important because we're doing things that we think are valuable. Valuable to others as well. I think that's something that I've struggled with is that performing can feel very insular and just working on the self a lot. So I feel like finding ways where you feel like you're making a contribution to society would be really helpful unlocking and a really helpful like mind mind shift as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I agree. I think, you know, as performers, we are, we tend to just sort of be in a practice room and be very focused on what's my goals for myself. And I think that's important, you know, probably ultimately why we started doing what we're doing is because in my case, I love singing, um, or in, you know, dancers case, because they love movement and, and what that feels like for themselves. But I think that's not sustainable in the long term if the only reason we're doing it is for ourselves ultimately we're creating for the enjoyment of other people as well and I think knowing what kind of contribution we want to make to the world with our art what what voice we want to have and and yeah how we want to better the world I think is a really important thing to be aware of as well so Going off of that, what do you think is the most common obstacle that stops people from achieving their goals as artists or even leaving the arts industry? And what are some ways that you have worked through that with your clients? Mm. I mean, absolutely the most common obstacle is confidence in in, the, in people, in, in themselves. Um I think people really non non artistic people or people who work who don't work in the arts and just watch it from external perspective, they have this impression of people in the arts that we must be so confident because we get up on stage in front of people and we look like we're just totally um, together and that there's nothing you know in in the way of us um, doing what we do, but. I don't know about you, but I know that from my own personal perspective and from the people that I work with, 
there's often just absolute sheer terror before going on stage. And um, I think that's one of the biggest things because people experience this, they interpret that as meaning, oh, God, I'm not feeling totally confident in myself. That must mean that I'm not good enough to be, to be here or um, or that they sort of they're not deserving to be here or they see other people who are apparently not so not having those kind of thoughts and interpreting well you know those people seem to be able to do it without any pressure it must mean that I'm not made for a life in this industry and like from a personal perspective like I so relate to that um because I definitely had those thoughts and when I was performing um more professionally like those thoughts would you know thoughts that really plagued me and I think it comes back to what we were speaking about earlier of like the breaking people down rather than building people up and I think what I think is really valuable is actually for people to become really aware of what it is that they're actually really good at uh, individually because as performers we're so used to getting feedback from external sources telling us we need to do this in order to improve or that's not good or whereas what I think we actually really need to hear more of in order to build up our confidence is the things that we are doing well because by being more consciously aware of the contribution that we're making, the things that we do do well, which may not be particularly um, present for us because it's not something we're used to thinking about, um, you know, people become more aware of, of how important their work is and, and the contribution they have the potential to make um, to, to the community through what they do. And so I think it's really important to just be reminding people always of the little wins that they have every day and all my clients will, will, will sort of say little wins. That's my like little um, catchphrase of what little wins have you had today? Even the smallest of, of things um, by becoming more aware of that, it builds up our belief in ourselves that we have the ability to get to where we want to be. And that in spite of the uncertainty that we might feel in ourselves, sometimes we're still, we still have an important um, voice to contribute. And what do you think are some ways that artists can nurture their creativity and stay sane through the uncertainty of COVID? Mm, yeah, it's a really good question. <laughs> and I think one that a lot of people are, are kind of grappling with at the moment, what do I do with all this time that I would normally be spending on, you know, um, performing or, or rehearsing for something? So I know a lot of the people that I've been speaking to, um, have kind of chosen to use this time to invest in something that perhaps they haven't made time for in previous years. Um, so, you know, is there a skill that you've been wanting to acquire but haven't kind of made it a priority? Um, so like, for example, one of my, one of my, um, group coaching, um, participants, She's a singer and like a music has a musical theatre background, but she's always had a real passion for stop motion um, uh, sort of video techniques. And so she's really like invested her time uh, over the past few months in in building up those skills. And she's created a video which she sent to me the other day, which I just thought was like amazing and really inspiring. And I'd never really seen like a stop motion video before, and she used it with Lego and everything and it was just really beautiful. And it's the kind of thing that 
she probably just wouldn't have made it a priority previously because there are always other things. And so I think not getting stuck in to the headspace of right now I could be doing this or I could be doing that or if COVID wasn't here, I would have been doing this because that's just, you know, that's not the reality, unfortunately. Yes, we'd all like to be doing what we were doing before, but we're not. So how can we flip that around and and maybe learn a new skill or, or develop something that we haven't had time for before? And how important do you think it is to have a community of performers around you? Because I'm just sort of thinking in this time, the government isn't really giving funding that's readily available to artists and, you know, it feels like the Australian government doesn't really value the arts. Mm. So how valuable do you think it is to surround yourself with like-minded people that do place importance on performing in artistry? So important, so important. And that's what that's actually one of the main reasons why I created this group coaching course because being around other performers who value, and it's not even just performers who come on this, this course, it's like directors, conductors, you know, musicians, dancers, um, but being around like-minded people who are invested in making the world a better place through art and through creativity and self-expression um, is so important because I think it's times like this where a lot of people may leave the industry, unfortunately, because it all just seems too hard and the, the positive contribution that we make may be less tangible um, or seem less tangible than it has in recent times because we can't actually create for people like we would. So I think having a community at this time is is more important than ever, absolutely. So... I'm about to go on stage mm. or do a Zoom audition maybe, <laughs> a, a stage on the screen, uh, and I get a wave of performance anxiety. What is the best thing to do for myself in that moment before I perform? I get this question a lot, and I would love to be able to say that the answer to all your problems is this, and there's like a one-size-kind-of-fits-all, you know, but the, the, the genuine truth is that the experience of anxiety is really multidimensional, and so are we as individuals. So, like, we know that there are three well, there are sort of different types of anxieties and, and we know that there's somatic anxiety, which is kind of like the physical symptoms that people might experience, sweaty palms, racing heartbeat, dry mouth, those kind of things. There's cognitive anxiety, which is like the incessant thoughts that kind of circle around in our heads. I'm going to fail or this isn't going to be good. Or, and then there's like the affective anxiety, the emotional side of anxiety, that you know, the feelings that might be associated with the anxiety, the stress, the happiness, the anxiety, the excitement. Um, and so, and then look, in addition to that, everyone is so different as well. And so it makes sense that there isn't a one size fits all kind of approach. But I know that for me, being someone who is like a massive overthinker, I know that, you know, for me sitting quietly by myself before I go on stage is actually just the worst thing that I could possibly do because it just gives me the time to get in my head and think. So if you're an overthinker, probably the best thing to do is to actually, um, you know, distract yourself, do something cognitively, cognitively stimulating enough. That's going to just remove you from that situation. That's going to, you know, cause that anxiety, um, so that you aren't just getting in your head before you go on stage. 
you know, someone else who maybe experiences more physiological sort of symptoms like the sweaty palms or the, the sort of shaking knees, maybe for you doing a physical activity before you go on stage, maybe like jumping jacks or running on the spot or something like that to sort of get the energy flowing more so, um, than just, you know, having it sort of direct itself to the knees or the palms. It can be really uh, helpful. So, you know, I think that's why I believe that helping people become more self-aware through this kind of work is vital in, in being the best performer that you can be because we're told at uni, like I kind of said earlier, like, oh, just take a few deep breaths and you'll be fine. Um, but for some, like myself, that's just made things absolutely worse. But for some people that might work. So knowing a bit more about your experiences of it and the kind of person that you are, is so important, um, to knowing how to actually, um, you know, deal with those kind of challenges. The other, the one thing that is a, a bit more, um, universal, however, is, you know, in those times really focusing on what I call performance goals rather than outcome goals. So performance goals are more so like goals that are within your control. So if you feel like, you know, like you're quite anxious going into an audition or something, focusing on, um, enjoying the performance rather than, um, getting the audition, for example, like the, an outcome goal is very much outside of our control for so many reasons. Like I want to get, I want doing this audition and my ultimate goal is to get the part. That's all well and good, but you might just be a foot too short for that role. They want someone who's taller. Like it doesn't have any out uh, in, you know, that doesn't, um, change how good you are at what you do. It's just that for whatever reason, you might not be what they're looking for in that moment. So the best thing to focus on is our performance goals. So things that are within our control, like our enjoyment of the music or the the piece or and just doing it for your own reasons rather than these sort of extrinsic outcomes. Yeah, mm, that's very cool. Yep. I like that, having that immediate, out, immediate outcome for right now in this moment and not trying to think ahead as to whether am I going to get a call back, am I going to get the job, Mm. just being present in the moment and trying to enjoy it. I was just going to say I feel like if you enjoy it more, you're more likely to to probably get the outcome that you want because if you're enjoying it more, that's more likely to come across and, um, you know, you're more likely to be received in a positive way. So, um, yeah, focusing more on those, those sort of performance goals is really valuable. Yeah, I was just going to say that I have the problem with wanting to be a perfectionist and for it to be perfect. And I guess that's one of the main things that a perfectionist like focuses on is what's the outcome on the other person? Have I impressed them? Have I made them happy rather than, you know, doing it for myself? And yeah, I think that's really cool to change that focus straight away and it takes the pressure off completely. Preach, preach into the choir here. Like as a, as what I would describe as a recovering perfectionist, uh, I uh, very much, um, yeah, relate to what you've said. It's always wanting to be perfect, but in the end, at the end of the day, there is no such thing. Uh, and setting impossible standards for ourselves of this perfection that's never going to be attained, it's just going to have a really negative impact on our self-image, which isn't what we want for um, building our confidence and being the best performers that we can be. So what would your advice be for your younger self heading into the arts industry? God, just to be kinder to myself. God, the amount of stuff that I told myself when I was young about how I wasn't good enough and how 
I had to be more like that person or look more like that person. Um, I just see now how futile it was and I would just love to tell my younger self but also any young performer coming into the industry that the thing that makes you valuable is what you have to say. Like you're the only one of you. People don't want to know what, you know, you pretending to be another person wants to say. They want to know what you have to say. So say it, be that person because no one else has that voice. And how do you define success in your own life? For me, success is, it kind of comes down to, am I enjoying what I'm doing? Is it, is it making a difference to the people that inspire me? So the people, you know, in my case, it's people in the arts industry and in the creative industries is what I'm doing, making a difference to them. And am I building a stronger community within the arts and making it better? Um, because, you know, especially as again, with, with COVID at the moment, everyone's just having a really tough time and it's going to take us, you know, a, a quite a while to recover to the, to where we were before. And so success for me is, is am I enjoying what I'm doing? Am I making a difference to the communities and the people who inspire me? And am I building a stronger community for the future that can, that can continue to have a positive impact on the world? That's my idea of success for me. And what are your hopes for the industry post COVID world and in the future and what would you like to see change? I mean, it, it keeps coming back to, to the psychological side of, of things. Like I, I would really love to see a greater focus at an institutional level on the psychological side of performance. Um, and I think, you know, as, as you guys know, uh, with your training and as I experienced, we go through our degrees or training and we're given a huge amount of training on the technical aspect of our craft. Like the amount of singing lessons that I got when I was at uni was just amazing and I really valued that. But if I didn't even have one single conversation about how to deal with that self-doubt I was feeling before I went on stage, then so much of that hard work just kind of goes by the wayside and gets gets lost. And so I'd really love there to be in every um, artistic institution and every training institution, training given on how to overcome the psychological challenges that are inevitably going to come about uh, with a career in the arts. Um, And, you know, it all looks so uncertain at the moment and that's why I think it's even more important now than ever. If we want to build a strong arts community moving forward, we need to have strong and resilient people who are contributing in that space. And so investing in people in this way, I think, is just it's a no-brainer to me. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Kaylin. I've learned so much. I'm sort of just sitting in everything that you've said and it's beautiful that you're wanting to build strong and resilient performers, directors, musicians. Um, It's very exciting. So thank you so much. Mm. Thank you, guys. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah. And I I guess like having time to chill because we were talking about in a few episodes about how, you know, we live in a very hustle bustle kind of lifestyle. Maybe this is the time right now for artists and students, whoever, to really 
ponder on these kind of thoughts and go, oh, what what do I do to take care of my, you know, mental health in this industry? Mm. And if we do that, what can we achieve as a community, you know, and what things can we change for the future? It's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And um, here's to, to building a stronger arts and, and creative community, hey? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We absolutely loved that interview with Kaylin and it was such a nice reminder that such a big part of what we do needs to be focused on our mental health and taking care of ourselves because we are our product. And I think it's really important to understand that you need to nurture yourself in order to nurture your creativity and your art. And that's something I love about Kaylin. I think that she really embodies that too and wants you to nurture your creativity. So it was lovely to speak to her and she actually has a new wave of performance coaching that she's doing with new students, isn't she? Yeah. So she, as she said in the interview, she has a group seminars, which are mostly webinars at the moment because of COVID. So you can jump onto her website and actually inquire about it. Uh, and it's weekly meetings in groups. And then she also does private sessions within that too. And it's all to do with integrating, uh, performance psychology in your own work. So yeah, we're actually going to be doing it ourselves. So exciting. Might see you there. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode with Kaylin. If you'd like to check out her work, then you can find her on Instagram at the.performers.edge or on her website, theperformersedge.world. If you like this episode, please leave us a rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast and come follow us on Instagram and Facebook at CompanyPod. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you to our producing guru, Douglas Rintel, our media queen, Deidre Koo, who is also known as Deedle Dumb Designs, and our music man, David Duquettis. We'll see you next time. Bye.